Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Brothers saw that their father Jacob was dead. They said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him. So they sent word to Joseph saying, your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you are to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. When their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came and threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then, don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of your God. Thanks be to God. Hurt people hurt people. Have you heard that aphorism before? It's a phrase that that describes what happens when people, it's all of us to some degree or another, it's a phrase that describes what happens when people who are hurt personally, emotionally, spiritually, well, oftentimes out of self-defense, out of bitterness, out of anger, end up hurting others. Intentionally or unintentionally, they, they hurt people because they've been hurt. It's, it's a phrase that describes a common experience, but don't mistake it for condoning wrong behavior. But it is something that, that helps us understand why, why people do what they do. Helps us understand why a person at work who's not having a very good day, and we, we don't know why, uh, they insult us. Personally, it hurts and it offends us. We see why. It, it helps us understand why, why kids who, who, who maybe get bullied at school or maybe just deal with, with life they lash out at their parents, the people that they love the most. It, it helps us understand why parents and adults engage in, at times, unhealthy behavior. Could be because they were hurt. They were hurt and experienced some pain or abuse in their life. Hurt people hurt people. It, it, it helps us understand why someone who, who, 
who we thought was a friend, someone very close to us, all of a sudden just stops communicating with us. Hurt people hurt people. It's a phrase that also maybe helps us understand why we engage in that, that dream at times to get back. You know, you've been hurt. You've been hurt. Someone has done a wrong to you, and we couldn't begin to list all of the different ways where, where it's happened. Someone has hurt us personally, spiritually, emotionally, and we sit there, and we just dream about getting even with them, exacting revenge on them, waiting for the moment when we can make this right. Don't raise your hand, but is that, that dream ever consumed you? What we have in God's word, and in all the lessons from God's word that we looked at this morning, is God telling us the truth that that, that dream, it's, it's a nightmare. It's actually a nightmare for, for two reasons. Number one, it traps you. It, it imprisons you in a pit of the past, and it's no good. It doesn't do any good for you. It actually harms your neighbor. But it also, did you catch this in Ephesians 4? It hurts the Holy Spirit. It hurts God himself. We read this Ephesians 4. It said, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. Only good things. Only good things that are specifically for building others up. And followed up by saying this, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. We don't use that phrase often. Don't grieve me. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve God. But what does it mean? Don't cause pain. Don't cause sadness to your very God. How can I make God sad? Well, here's how. It's by talking with bitterness. It's by acting with rage. It's by not forgiving. Not speaking words of love and forgiveness to others. What we have in our sermon lesson this morning is a story of what happens when there's not forgiveness, when there's hurt, when, when hurt people hurt people. We have a story, a, a biblical account here of what happens when people are crushed by the overwhelming power of guilt. But we also have a story of the opposite. A story of not just how hurt people hurt people, but the opposite of what happens when healed people heal people. Or, as Christians can put it, when forgiven people forgive others. What we're going to do is look at this somewhat famous account of Jacob and Joseph and the ending of this account at the very end of Jacob's life, the very end of the book of Genesis, we're going to go through it line by line to look at what happens when people deal with, with guilt and are in need of forgiveness and what happens when, when people who know they're forgiven forgive others. This is the church that God wants, a group of people who forgive just like he has forgiven us. We're going to go through this first, as I said, part by part. It begins this way. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge 
against us and pays us back for all the wrongs that we did to him. All right, maybe, maybe you know the story of Joseph and Jacob, but it's worth reviewing what happened to him. Oh, we got to go back to Genesis chapter 37. There we read about, well, Joseph born to Jacob. And what do we know? That this, this is his favorite son. And he's not secretive about this. No, no, no. He actually gives Joseph what? You're probably thinking a technicolored. It doesn't actually say that. It says an ornamental robe. An ornamental robe to wear to show that this is my favorite son. The Bible is very direct about it, that Joseph's brothers actually hate him for this. And then what's more, Joseph it doesn't do himself any favors. He acts like a spoiled little brat. The truth is that Joseph had dreams, dreams given to him by God, dreams which do, in fact, tell the future of what will happen. You know the dreams, right? In the dream, there's a star surrounded by 11 other stars, 12 other stars. The family all gather around a central star, which is Joseph, and the stars bow down to him. Then it tells another dream where their, their bundles of wheat all bow down to him. What does Joseph do? Does he, does he seek the spiritual guidance, guidance of his father Jacob and say, hey, how should I handle this? Does he go to his older brother Reuben and say, hey, help me out. What, what do you think I should do with the brothers and this dream I'm having? No, 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 he doesn't do that. He goes before him and he says, hey guys, guess what? <laughs> you know I'm the favorite? Yeah, one day you guys are all gonna bow down and worship me, me at the center of all of this. How do you think his brothers react? Scripture tells us they hate him more. Can you imagine growing up in a family like this? Can you imagine being one of the brothers who, who sees Joseph getting all this preferential treatment? It would hurt. It would hurt. Hurt people hurt people. And, and who knows why it came to be this way? Maybe it's because Joseph's father, Jacob, well, he had family that played favorites. His father, Isaac, made it clear, Jacob, you're not my favorite. Esau is. So again, hurt people, hurt people. And then this happened. Joseph's brothers are out keeping watch over the flocks. And guess what? Joseph doesn't have to do that. He doesn't have to go to work. But his dad says, go check on him. Let, let me know how it's going. You know what happens. The brothers see him coming. And this, this hurt boils up to the point where they see him. And they go, here comes that dreamer. Let's kill him. Let's kill him. Reuben tries to, you know, make sure that they don't actually kill him. He goes, hey, I got an idea. Let's just throw him into a deep pit and leave him there. And Reuben's going to later come back and help him out and so he can live. But they do it. They throw him into a pit. And then like nothing, in the very next verse, they sit down and have lunch. They're sitting there having lunch as their brother is crying out to them for help. What does Judah do? A Judah is disturbing in what he suggests next. Let's not just kill him. We don't get anything out of that. 
Let's sell them and actually get some money for it. And so they sell their brother Joseph off to Egypt. And the story continues on through a, a series of ups and downs in Joseph's life. Joseph gets a job working for the Pharaoh's head of secret service. And he does so well at it. He puts him in charge of, of everything in his household. Then he's wrongly accused of sexual harassment. So he goes to prison. In prison, he then tells the dreams of two of Pharaoh's officials, and he says, hey, remember me when you get out, to the one who's going to get out and live. But he doesn't. Now, years later, years later, Pharaoh has dreams. And those dreams are even crazier than Joseph's. It's dreams of skinny cattle eating fat cattle and skinny stalks enveloping large, robust stalks of grain. Pharaoh asked Joseph to tell him what these mean. He gets the chance to do so. He says, very clearly, here's what's going to happen. There's going to be seven years of plenty. God's going to bless Egypt with such a great harvest that it should store it up because it's going to be followed by seven years of famine. Famine widespread, devastating famine. And Pharaoh, you should find someone to manage all this. And Pharaoh says, you're that man. You are that guy. You're him. I'm going to put you in charge of everything. And Joseph, like that, becomes the prime minister of all of Egypt, second only to the king, second only to Pharaoh. He gets all of that power. He gets all of that wealth. He gets Pharaoh's daughter to be his wife. He has it all. And he saves everybody. That's the story of Joseph. But it's not the end of the story of Joseph and his brothers. Joseph's brothers come to him, and beginning in Genesis chapter 42, they come to him because they're affected by the famine. They're in a hard place, and they, they come to buy grain. Joseph doesn't let them off easy. He recognizes them, but they don't recognize him, and he says, no, no, you're not here for grain. You are here because you are spies. You're here to spy out Egypt and, and ruin us. They go, no, we're not. We're, we're just a bunch of guys who have a dad and a brother who's at home and another brother who's dead. They bring it up in front of him. You think that was sitting on their consciences? So Joseph gives them grain. He says, but here's the deal. I'm going to give it to you, but you have to prove it to me that you actually do have another brother and a father. I'm going to keep one of your brothers here until you bring me back that other brother, Benjamin. So he keeps Simeon. They go off back home, and the brothers show up, one brother less again, and they say, hey, Dad, we met this guy in Egypt. He gave us grain, but he doesn't believe that we're actually not spies. So here's what we got to do. We got to take your now favorite son, Benjamin, back to Egypt to prove that we're legit, and then get Simeon back. You want to know what Jacob says? No way. No way. I lost Joseph. I lost Simeon. There is no way I'm going to let you take Benjamin from me. So they don't go back. For two years, they don't go back. Finally, they, they just need grain or they'll die. So Jacob says, fine, take them. Just take them. And they do. They return back, and, and there's Benjamin. And, and this story, both, both occurrences when the brothers visit Egypt are motion-packed, and, and Joseph can, very, can barely contain himself. Every time he talks to them, it's like he has to go out of the room to control his emotions, and he does. He cries. He breaks down, and this is no exception. He sees his brother of his own mother 
Benjamin there, and he breaks down. He sees his brother, and he's moved by all of this, and he gives them grain. He sends them down their way, but he hides his own cup in their bag, and they go after, and then Joseph's officials go after him and say, you, you repaid this man's goodness with evil. They bring him back, and there, there when they think they're about to receive judgment from the prime minister of all of Egypt, Joseph breaks down. And he says, don't be afraid. It's me. How's our dad? I love you guys. I, I want you here. I, I don't hold any of this against you. I, he says it again. He says it for the first time. He says, look, you wanted this for bad, but God meant it for good. Look, it's okay. And, and it happens. Joseph's brothers come back. His father, Jacob, comes to Egypt and they all live there and they live there well cared for by the prime minister of all of Egypt. Okay, that's our review. Because here's what happens in our lesson for today. Jacob's dead. 17 years of of living good in Egypt have happened and now the brothers are worried. Shoot, dad's gone. You think Joseph is coming after us? I mean, can you blame him for thinking that? We learn a lot here about the human experience and dealing with wrong things that we've done, dealing with guilt. It's powerful. People often say, ah, forgive and forget. It's not biblical. It's not in the Bible that we can actually like just forget about things and we should just go forgive. And it's same for people who, who need forgiveness, who have, who have done wrong. You, you can't just forget about the things that you've done. Guilt comes back. And it's controlling them, their identity. They can't forget about it. And they're worried. They don't trust. They don't trust that, that Joseph has forgiven them And they worry, could this even be real? Could everything we've experienced for 17 years, could it be real? It's human to not forget our past. In other words, to remember the wrong thing that we've done. To feel that guilt pushing down on us. So this is what the brothers do. They come up with an idea. <sighs> they say this. They say, all right, let's go tell Joseph that this is what our father Jacob said. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive their sins of their servants, of your God and Father. Here's a question. Did it really happen? Did it really happen that Jacob said that? That said, hey, when I'm dead, remind Joseph to forgive you guys. Or, did these brothers who had a way of uh, fabricating things, we'll say, they lie again. People are split. Bible doesn't tell us. But here's what the Bible does tell us. Here's what we do know. The power of guilt is strong. And these brothers are feeling it. They're confessing their sins. You see, they they don't just say like, yeah, kind of, you know, we didn't really treat you right, you know, (laughs) older brothers, right? 
Now they know it was sin. It was sin against our God in the way that we treated you. It was wrong what we did. We treated you, Joseph, badly. We see confession. And we see how Joseph reacts. He wept. Upon receiving their message, what's Joseph's reaction? He just cries. Why? Why do you think Joseph cried? Could it be because this is just such an emotional situation? You're grieving your father. You've had really an emotional relationship with your brothers your whole life. And and that's why I've kind of cried every time that I've had to talk to him about this. Maybe. But could it be that Joseph cried because he was living in freedom? He was living in the freedom that God gives, that God remembers our sin no more. He gives us his grace in spite of all of the wrong that we have done, in spite of me living like a brat, Joseph thinks, like, I've been forgiven. God has taken care of me. In spite of all the bad things that have happened throughout my life, God has blessed me, has provided for me. And while he doesn't live in the past anymore, he looks and he sees that his brothers do. His brothers live in a prison, in a pit of their past. His brothers think, Joseph's going to come after him. I mean, think about why Joseph cried, and think about it this way. Imagine someone you loved did you wrong. And it was a seriously sinful thing. But you were able to forgive him. I mean, you've done this before, Christian. You've, you've forgiven your children, you, your spouse, your neighbor, your friend. Imagine that. You forgive them. And imagine if a month later they come back to you and they say, I am so afraid of you. I am so afraid that you're holding a grudge. That you're not going to let it go. But in your heart, you've, you forgave them. You, you moved on. You, you, you lived standing in the grace of God. You see how that would make you sad? Now imagine if 17 years ago you had forgiven your child, your spouse, your, your, your friend, and for 17 years they lived with that guilt. It's Joseph's brothers. And that's Joseph. Joseph forgave them, but they're still living in a prison of their past. As we wrestle with this story and think about forgiving but also needing forgiveness. Ask yourself, do you live in the prison of the past? A pit of guilt. Joseph was out, out of the pit, living in forgiveness. But his brothers, they're squarely in it. We talked about how guilt affects us. Do you mistrust that God could forgive you? Ephesians 4 is interesting to consider as we think about forgiving others, but also thinking about the forgiveness that we need. Do we not maybe let unwholesome talk come out of our mouths, but in our heads we go, man, what a fill in the blank for all the bad things I do. What a, I can't believe I messed up again. How dumb of me. And in that way, We grieve the Holy Spirit. We cause him sadness and distress in the same way that Joseph's brothers caused him sadness. Do we make God weep 
Because we think, no way. No way could the one who spilled his own blood to seal me for redemption, could he actually forgive me? Do we live in a pit, a prison of our own guilt? His brothers did. And so they came and they threw themselves down before him. And they said, we are your slaves. It's a powerful narrative about guilt and how people deal with guilt. Don't we often do the same? Maybe we don't say, we'll be your slave. But we overreact. We say, I'll do anything. Think to God, the same. I'll do anything if you just forgive me. And here God is saying, no, literally, I've done everything. I've given you my son to cover over all of your sins. And we think, no, 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 I need to make this up. I need to do something. And we take on guilt as though it's a virtue. As though living, wallowing in our guilt, somehow God will look on us with favor. But he's already forgiven us. And so that is the message that that Joseph shares with his brothers. He said to them, do not be afraid. Am I in the place of God? It's a good question. Is Joseph in the place of God? Are you? Are you in the place of God? We could do this like we do in foundations, maybe agree or or disagree. But here's the good news about this question. The answer is yes or no, depending on how you're thinking about this. Are you in the place of God? No. No, and on one hand, you're not. You are not God. God says, vengeance is mine. I am going to take care of of judgment. I am going to take care of sinners and, and what they deserve. You are not standing in the middle and the center of all of this. You see, Joseph finally realized this. This guy who at the beginning of the story was pretty proud about standing in the center of things in his dream says, I'm not there. I am not standing in the place of God. God is at the center of all things. Christ is at the center of all things. I'm not God. Joseph realized that in humility. But you could also answer this as yes. Are you standing in the place of God? Well, we read what Jesus said in Matthew's gospel about forgiveness. Whatever you bind on earth, will be found in heaven. Whatever you lose, whatever you forgive here, that will be forgiven in heaven. Look, I'm going to tell you a story about forgiveness. I'm going to tell you that this is how you are to forgive. Radically, remarkably, irrationally. Go, forgive others. Huge debts. Huge debts that people have against you. Forgive because out of my fullness, I have forgiven you all of your sins. Now go. Here's Ephesians. Forgive. Be an imitator of God. Be like God. Stand here and tell people you are forgiven. Are you like God? Well, in that way, yes, you are. But the bottom line is this. You have the same message that Joseph had for his brothers. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of your guilt. Don't be afraid of the power, the oppressive power that guilt has on you. Your sins are forgiven. And Joseph goes on. He says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Asked the question and said, don't answer it. But how many of you have fantasized, dreamt about what you would do if you were face to face 
someone who's hurt you, wronged you. It happens, but few of us have the opportunity to actually be there in a position of power over that person. Joseph did. Joseph was there as the most powerful man in all the world, second only to Pharaoh and his brothers groveling before him. He had his chance to get even. But what does he do? He proclaims the gospel. Look, this is bad. And you meant bad. But this is God. And he is good. He used even this worst situation for good. To save lives. Tell me, how does Joseph get in that place in life where, where, where he can proclaim forgiveness in the face of what his brothers did for him? How, how is it that you can take Ephesians 4 and speak kindly, tenderheartedly, compassionately to people, not angry, not bitter? How, how can that actually be your reality and not just some pious dream? It's because the controlling narrative of Joseph's entire life was what God had done for him, forgiving him, giving him grace upon grace and blessing upon blessing. He was not controlled by the narrative that he was a victim. He was not controlled by the narrative of guilt any longer, but the controlling reality of his entire life was the gospel that he proclaimed. Joseph's talking about, yeah, historically, he saved lives because of a famine. But zoom out. You see what happened here? Israel got saved. Israel got saved that would one day be the peoples from whom Christ came who would save the lives of many. Oh, this is Good Friday summarized. What people intended for bad, harming this man, Jesus Christ, killing him in the most horrific of ways, God intended for good. God planned this out for your good to save lives, many lives, all the lives. That is what Joseph was a part of, that gospel story. And that is what we're a part of. Joseph's finished in this way. He said, so then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. As we look at the ending of this story of Genesis, let's look at both characters. Joseph, the wronged and the forgiver, and the brothers, the wrongdoers and the ones in need of forgiveness. Joseph, what does he do? He reassures his brothers. It says he spoke kindly to them. What it says in Hebrew is he, he spoke to their hearts. Again and again. Ask yourself, how, how is it that you reassure people of forgiveness in your life? How do you reassure people of it? Because we know that, that guilt is powerful. Guilt has a, an effect on people. How do you speak kindly to them? Telling them that in Christ, everything is provided for. All your sins are forgiven. When someone says, I'm sorry, do you just say, like, no worries, bro? <laughs> when someone says, I'm sorry for the wrong I've done, you say, nah, it's all good. 
Or do you take the opportunity to get real and say, I, I forgive you. I forgive you because Christ has forgiven all my sins. That's the forgiver. Let's look at the forgiven. You see how the story ends for Joseph's brothers? The other shoe doesn't drop. They didn't end up having to pay him back for something. But what do they get instead? Generational provision. Cared for in an extraordinary way. They get things that they certainly do not deserve. Mercy from Joseph. They get mercy from God. Everything taken care of for. And think about it. From this, from this family would come another prince. A prince who is sold by his brothers. A prince who is hated by his own family. A prince who is thrown into a pit called the grave. A prince who is sold off for a few pieces of silver. But a prince who God would use. Even though everyone intended it for bad, he would use it for good, for the saving of many lives. The prince of peace who rose to speak that peace of forgiveness to you so it would fill you all the days of your life. May God bless you with that message of mercy and forgiveness from God to you in Christ. May God bless you with it and as you share it with others, amen. 